Welcome to the Immigrant Entrepreneurs Podcast, episode 77. My name is Alina Warwick, and today we have Daria Tsvenger on the show. So I have a quick announcement for you guys. I wanted to let you know that in the last nine months, I've launched 77 episodes. I've spent hours researching for the best tools to use and made quite a few mistakes in the beginning. But now I can say I've developed proven strategies that allow me to constantly have podcast calls scheduled. As you know, many thought leaders today have amazing podcasts and they use their podcast to grow their tribe, their brand and bring awareness to their particular topics. So if you are thinking of starting a podcast, now is the time. I'm providing podcast consultations and where I will give you all the tools and industry standards on how to launch and run a successful podcast. Check out my website, alinawarwick.com and book your podcast consultation today. And I'm looking forward to serving you with your podcast needs. Lastly, before we continue with this episode, if you are listening to the show and it brings you value, please share some love by subscribing and leaving a review wherever you're listening to this podcast. Kind of like I became so used to suffering, like mm-hmm. literally suffering, like self, self-induced suffering that mm-hmm. one day I realized that it's not me. Like it's, it's not who I am. Like somehow I became this person, but like, I want just, you know, control Z, just, uh, <laughs> just yeah. delete this, delete this from my life. Daria is originally from Siberia, Russia, and never imagined that she was going to end up living in the United States. In fact, her dream was to work for the government in Russia. But since her husband is a tech entrepreneur, they decided it was best to move to Silicon Valley five years ago. But what Daria didn't realize was that she was going to be ripped out of her social world and her family and come to a brand new country feeling all alone. She became depressed and had immense self-doubt. Through this journey, she went to learn and search for answers. She discovered a program in Stanford where she learned about how the brain works and why she felt the way she felt and stopped being a victim, transformed herself into a magnetic person who can open any door. She went on to create two big communities with the co-founder around wellness and neuroscience in the heart of San Francisco with absolutely no connections. She worked with Dr. Adam Ghazali, Dr. David Engelman, to name the few. With her experience and journey, she became a mindset expert by coaching and created her amazing program. Daria has been featured in Forbes and Vogue and many other news mediums. So let's dive right in and hear all about her successful journey. So Daria, thank you so, so much for coming on the Immigrant Entrepreneurs Podcast. I truly appreciate your time and I'm so honored for you to take this call on your vacation. So thank you so much and welcome to the show. Of course. Thank you so much, Alina, for having me. I'm really excited for this conversation. So let's talk about your immigrant journey. Tell us where you're from and when did you come to the United States? Originally, I'm from Kemerovo. It's a town in Siberia. But I lived for some time in Moscow before moving to the United States. And I moved to the U.S. in the middle of 2016. So it's almost five years. Okay. And how old were you when you came to the United States? I was 21, just turned 21. Okay, got it. So what was it like growing up in Siberia? I mean, it's awesome. It's like any other city. Nothing that 
you know, majorly differentiates it from any other cities in Russia, I think. It was just, yes, the, the weather was, was extreme, but it's seasonal. <laughs> Honestly, like New York winters are, no, are not much warmer. <laughs> than in Siberia, to oh, be honest. Wow. Really? Yeah. Oh my goodness. Yes. Yeah, because I know sometimes they let the like the ocean freezes in New York. So <laughs> Yeah, and like really the cold. winds and stuff. And winds and stuff. And like Siberia it's located literally like in the middle of the continent with no access to to any type of water. So yeah, it's it's cold weather, but it's different. But in terms of seasonality, it's very seasonal. Those are very hot summers, very distinct spring and fall. Uh, and winter, of course, it's cold, but summer is very warm. So it's pretty seasonal place. And I mean, you have to have a lot of stuff in your wardrobe because you literally every three, four months, you're changing the whole wardrobe, like everything that you wear becomes no longer relevant. So yeah, wow. <laughs> no problem like that in California, though. Right, right. <laughs> okay, so tell me growing up in Siberia, was it a small town? Was it a big town? It was a pretty decent town. I think we have 700,000 people Okay. in the town. It's like a regional a regional center of like a region, one region in Siberia. And yeah, I mean, it's actually the same time zone as, as like Thailand, India, like Southeast Asia. So it's the same exact time zone. Got it. Okay. And growing up, did you always know you're going to end up in the United States? No, I never knew. I never planned, actually. I was kind of like always against moving. And I was even vocal about this. I really wanted to work for a government in Russia. In Russia. And okay. Yes, I really wanted it. I wanted to be like a, like a deputy in the state Duma person. Okay. I would never predicted that I would end up in the United States. So yeah, <laughs> and uh, I there I go, ending up here in 2016. Got it. Got it. Okay. So let's talk about the journey. What was that like for you? And how did you end up in the States? Yeah, it was just a mutual decision with my husband. I mean, he's, he's uh, an IT entrepreneur. So he's like a startup guy. He, he built already several startups. Okay. For his major league career opportunities, we moved to San Francisco first. And it didn't kind of like I didn't take it seriously. I was like, okay, we can, we can move. Like, no problem at all. Because, you know, I've been pretty international. I used to live in Asia and work in Asia for some time. So I was not kind of like afraid of being in a new country, in a new place. I was moving by myself quite a bit, but not to the West, though, all to the East. <laughs> and wow. when I moved to the West, to United States, it's been pretty, pretty hard in terms of psychologically. Mm hmm especially when you're moving without like having a job or having like proper documents and things like that. It can be, it was for me very isolating and mm -hmm. it was very, like very hard and very depressing for the first, I think for the first year. And mm -hmm. I was like in a very bad mental state because I used to be a very vocal and kind of like very public person in Russia and places where I've been. But then in the United States, everything kind of like became non-relevant. It was kind of like a hard journey to basically re-self-actualize. And I mean, it's, it's the best literally personal development training to move somewhere without any, like without any particular reason, just figure it out on the spot. And I think this was the catalyst for me 
for many things that I do now, this experience is definitely the catalyst. And now I understand what almost every single immigrant goes through to some extent, of course, depends on the situation. So did you have any family or friends when you guys moved to Silicon Valley? No, absolutely nobody. And it was like same new thing for my husband as well. He's never lived in San Francisco before. And me, I, I, I had no idea, like some, like all this, basically I was never interested in America. I just, I just, I even had no <laughs> idea that like, that like, you know, California is a state and not a city. You know, I had like very vague, like representation of it in my mind. So yeah. I, I didn't know that San Francisco is all about technology, like whatever San Francisco, I knew just one Russian song, which were like, it's very popular in Russia. I think it's like 90s or 80s song about like San Francisco and stuff, but that's it. <laughs> no yeah. external knowledge. Wow, that's crazy. (laughs) So tell me, I read a little bit about you and one of the mediums that you mentioned that you were embarrassed of your English and you were not confident. And then you were meant you just mentioned that you were depressed for a period of time, you were by yourself in a brand new country. What helped you to transition to get out of those moments? What are some things that you implemented to kind of get away from that depression or finding that inner confidence in yourself? Yeah, that's a great question. I mean, language is just everything that we do and how we characterize it in our mind is just our perception. And the reason was not in my language. Yes, I could be embarrassed about anything anything because I was in a place of a very low confidence. So any action that I that I would take, including speaking, including speaking up and being vocal, it was what it all was really embarrassing for me because I was judging myself, I was overthinking, I was constantly comparing myself to all other people who, you know, already have American education and all this like external checkpoints. And it didn't set me out to the right path. And there was like a turning point when I was so kind of like, I became so used to suffering, like Mm -hmm. literally suffering, like self-induced suffering, that Mm -hmm. one day I realized that it's not me. Like it's, it's not who I am. Like somehow I became this person, but like, I want just, you know, control Z, just, uh, (laughs) just delete this, delete this from my life. And I started to learn basically about how the brain works and what makes me feel what I feel. And I I did an amazing program at Stanford to, to understand these things, literally biologically, how they work. And this is where I learned that actually the trauma of like changing anything in your life radically, yeah, changing a job, changing relationships, basically when there is this empty space, for example, something took a lot of like a big part of your life and this becomes no longer relevant. So Mm -hmm. it's almost the same. It's not almost the same, but it's in the same category of like the grieving process in the same way, you know, we lose somebody. But when we lose a part of our identity, it's also the same grieving process, which has like four stages, you know, according to psychology, like denial, you know, all these things. Mm -hmm. And I didn't know that at all. So when you don't know what is happening to you, it's so easy to suffer and to blame yourself for all this, you know, things that are happening. And after I learned everything about this, I, I started to understand more about like, where are my thoughts coming from? What I'm doing by agreeing to these thoughts and by feeding these thoughts in the directions where I don't want to go. 
And after I gained a little bit of confidence in myself, the major catalyzer actually for me started when I started to actually apply on top of the confidence that I built in myself, I started to apply basically networking tools and different communication tools, which allowed me to connect to people and to different communities. And this essentially opened so many doors for me. And I haven't done, you know, any formal education in America. I don't have like any like degree, but first thing that I've done, I managed to get a job where, you know, Stanford grads were my colleagues you know, earning the same salary I was earning, but, you know, having all these credentials, which I thought I really needed, uh, what is really needed is the ability to connect to people and ability to understand your value and basically be confident, basically transfer this value and to be vocal about your value and know how to help other people. And I think these skills, they are much more important than any credential, any master's degree education. Of course, it depends. I mean, if you're a doctor or lawyer, you have to have these things. But if you are more like, you know, marketing person, salesperson, entrepreneur, basically more like soft skills person, none of that is needed. You can do amazing things just by putting yourself out there and knowing how to communicate and basically open doors for yourself without waiting for somebody else to do it for you. Yes. Amen, sister. I'm over here jumping for joy. (laughs) Yes, that is so, so powerful. And I completely agree with you. I have people on my show all the time that have gotten PhDs, gotten bachelors, gotten doctorate degrees, and and they come on the show and they say, you really don't need that to start a business. You really don't need that to accomplish your dreams. You really don't need that to move forward with life. And like you said, yes, if you are a lawyer, you need a JD. If you're a doctor, you need certificates. But more often than not, you can start where you're at right now. So that is so, so true. And thank you so much for refreshing us with that positivity and with those powerful intentions, what you just mentioned is so, so true. So, and you're, we're going to talk about your dream sprint program, but before we get there, I, I wanted to ask you, did you know any English before you came to United States? Yeah, of course. I spoke English before I came to United States, but I was speaking it in terms of, I was living in Asia, but I was speaking okay. English there. And it's okay. so different. If you've ever talked like to people who are native, different Asian language speakers, just so different. I couldn't understand American English at all when I came here. It was just for me like a different language. <laughs> so when you went to Stanford, you kind of just applied and got in without like taking ESL courses or what did you do to enhance your English? Oh, it was just a professional extension education program. So it was it was none of like, you know, normal Stanford thing when you apply and wait and like wait for years and things like that. So it was like the program which I think anybody can take. So it it was not a big deal. And yeah, I was, of course, practicing my English. I was watching all Netflix things in English, you know, to pick up the accent. (laughs) I think it really helped. Yeah. Someone said on my show that they watched cartoons with their kids to learn English and Netflix works too. (laughs) Yeah, absolutely. 
Okay, so let's talk about your journey to entrepreneurship. So you took that Stanford program that you did, and it taught you about brain development and getting that connection through positivity and whatnot, cognitive reality. So what happened after that? Did you get yourself a job? And let's just talk a little bit about that journey. Yeah, I did. I didn't have my documents for, I think, a good year and a half or even even more. Like my job permit was was in the process. And first I was really like struggling, you know, playing victim mode. I was like, oh, I can't even get a job because I don't have my work permit, blah, 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 blah. But then I realized like I can already do things. I can already like creatively, you know, make money and do all these things even without a work permit. So we decided to, I became a really kind of like big community builder in San Francisco. And I've created two communities, which I've been very passionate about. The first one is for women in wellness. And I think we have more than 2000 members. Wow. And the second one was Brain Power Hub. It's basically the community around popularizing neuroscience and the way how the brain works. And what I was doing, I was bringing like literally top world scientists in this category to basically do public talks. And it was all, I mean, it was all commercial and it was pretty successful. It was all in person. We were renting theaters in San Francisco and collaborating with like scientists like Dr. David Tigelman, Dr. Adam Ghazali, Dr. Loretta Browning. Those are all like New York Times bestselling authors and <laughs> literally amazing people. And how did you launch that? Did you go out on Facebook and start networking and creating this network hub for the two communities? Or how did you start that? All through communications, literally, I realized that I wanted to do something related to, to community, to building communities and popularizing things that I want to popularize. I found a, a partner who's been doing something similar, but not exactly that. So I pitched her this idea. She was really on board. And the first thing we did, we just booked an amazing speaker like Dr. David Eagleman right away. I just cold pitched him. I mean, I do all my things through cold pitching, honestly. I found a job <laughs> through cold pitching, through cold things, absolutely cold things, like no introductions. And wow. I think that cold stuff and what means cold, I mean, for the listeners, cold pitch means when you literally find somebody's email online. And then crafting your message in a way that they almost become your friends, you know, from the first yes. couple of emails and they want to yes. collaborate with you, work with you, hire you, whatever. Appears Dr. David Eagleman and I was, I was so scared because it was kind of like my first call with a big person. And mm -hmm. he's like, he's an advisor to Jeff Bezos. He's like nine times New York bestselling author. I was literally like fangirling about him. His TED <laughs> talks are amazing. He created things that, I mean, he created a device which allows people to hear sounds through skin for people mm. who have impaired hearing. So he, he does crazy things with, I mean, using just the power of our brain and his knowledge on how our senses and the mm. way we perceive information works. So uh, I called Pishkim, he agreed to, to be our speaker. We had nothing. We didn't know where we'll do it, who will come, how <laughs> will we sell tickets, literally no idea. But I wanted to pay him so it was not free. Although many speakers, many speakers spoke for free for us, but I want to always be respectful if I'm to commercialize something 
always mm-hmm. like to pay pay people. So I mean, and his rate was pretty serious. And I just signed up for this rate without like without having no idea how we'll make it. Wow. And so we just we made it. I mean, so many things happened in the middle. Like yeah. the theater, <laughs> the everything. And we sold out, I think about 350 tickets with, with no online ads and stuff. So wow, it was pretty cool and pretty exciting. And after the show, we went to dinner together with this David Eagleman. And it was, it was completely amazing. And this proved to me that no matter where I am, no matter what language I speak, it's just courage plus understanding how how to find this key to any person because it's not one size fits all, you know, thing. Every time with every person, with every new endeavor, it requires basically like literally understanding with your skin about what motivates this person, what doesn't. You know, it's kind of like, I always like to make this comparison. There are different foods that different, you know, animals eat in the wild. Mm -hmm. And for example, Mm -hmm. If you offer like same food, but to different animals, for some animal, it will be the best food ever. And for another one, it's completely outside of their ratio. They just, they're not interested completely. (laughs) Same thing with, with communications. You have to understand people so much that you should understand what will, what will make them feel better, what will make them comfortable, what will make them interested. And sometimes monitoring interest, it's not the first one, especially for mm-hmm. people who are accomplished. It's not the first one. And that's why I hear so many people say like, oh, Daria, but like, I don't have money to have this person or to collaborate with this person, whatever. But there are so many more motivations beside money, especially when money is not something that, you know, there there is already many people already have some kind of basis for money that don't need it in order to feel better every time. Yeah, no, that's so, so true. Thank you so much for sharing that. So, so you didn't have a work permit for a year and a half and you started just doing this kind of on the side, right? The building communities and getting these events together. Yeah, I just started doing it on the side and uh, everything, yeah, everything was just through my friend with whom I collaborated. Okay. And so you saw it grow and then what happened? What was your next journey? Yeah. And then I decided that it's time for me to join a really cool startup because, you know, like living in San Francisco, eventually everybody wants to become a first political startup or to create a startup or to create a venture fund. So the atmosphere and people that we surround ourselves with, it definitely influences us. So I got this desire, like, why don't I become like a startup person? I started my journey to literally find myself an awesome job. And I already got the job permit at that point. So I decided that it will be a good thing. And I only wanted to work in the wellness space. That's it. I didn't consider anything else. I didn't need a job just for the sake of job. I wanted it to be like, you know, thing that I'm really passionate about and all these things. Yeah. And there's not much like that in San Francisco because San Francisco is a very, I think it's a very kind of like one thing city. It's all about technology. At that time, it was all about like artificial intelligence, crypto and all this like hard tech stuff that nothing was about like wellness, you know, or fashion or whatever (laughs) else. It's just, it just doesn't exist there. So I started, of course, to, again, turn on my communications and networking power. And first of all, in order to 
start any communication, you must understand like, what do you want? Yeah. And this is, I realized I want definitely a small wellness startup with amazing like founders who are like superstars and good funding, of course. So by chance, but actually nothing is by chance when you start thinking about something and you really focused on that, this information comes to you it, mm-hmm. and it happens all the time. I'm sure all of the listeners had things in their life when they started to think about something actively, like mm-hmm. really actively. And this information was coming in at the right place at the right time. Yes. Yes. <laughs> and this is just how our mind works. It's so normal because our mind, it's like this huge Google search, you know, and you can't find in Google search something that you're not searching for. It's just not possible. The Google search reflects mm. only the request that you put in. So, you know, by, by Google searching, I don't know, funny kittens, you can't find yourself a job in a wellness startup. Right, <laughs> so, right. Yes. Okay, go so ahead. So the same way with our mind. And I, like, uh, long story short, I learned about this woman. She used to be a chief marketing officer at Amazon, at Eventbrite, at Open Table, at Upwork. So she had this really stellar, like, superstar career. And now she created this wellness startup, and it was her first one. And I decided that I really want to have a job in this startup. It's It will be amazing because... To work with people like her personally, I thought it would be would be super awesome. Mm-hmm. And called email again. Absolutely <laughs> <laughs> yes. called email. No mutual friends. <laughs> and I got her interested. And we had a call. Then we had a couple. And she was not hiring. Like she was not hiring. The startup was not hiring. No mm-hmm. open positions at all. Mm-hmm. And, you know, we started our communication. I started helping her with one thing, with another thing. And, you know, literally proactively providing my view on on the community of her startup and on, you know, different things. And long story short, she she offered me a job to become essentially the first hire in the marketing department. And she was in the wellness industry like you wanted to be. Yes, yes. The startup was about clean beauty. And clean beauty, it's about essentially creating beauty products which do not use all these toxic ingredients, which unfortunately FDA allows to use in the United right. States. It's this whole big thing that United States is completely not regulated in terms of things and ingredients that are being put in our beauty products, like body bath products. And that's why it's like so many toxic ingredients, more than 200 toxic ingredients in comparison, for example, with European, even Russian regulations. In Russia and Europe, these ingredients are just bad. They're not allowed to be used. But in America, you can use anything you want. And <laughs> you you don't have to even put it in the ingredients list. You know what I mean? It's like really, yes. really bad. So I felt really good about the mission of, of the startup and about what they've been doing, about the team and everything. And it's been it's been amazing. I worked with them for... I think a bit more than like half a year. And then in parallel, I, I started the Dream Sprint program, which I really felt felt ready to because I really wanted to share, you know, my lo- my knowledge and what I've been going through. And so I started in parallel and it's been going great. But then I moved to Los Angeles from San Francisco. And then I was remote for a couple of months and then it didn't work out exactly. And I already wanted to be like a, a full-time entrepreneur. <laughs> so I parted ways with the startup, remained amazing relationships with, with the founder. 
it was super awesome. Yeah. And then I started my entrepreneurial journey. Okay. Okay. Wow. What an amazing journey. Okay. So you started your dream sprint program at the same time you were working and had a full-time job, right? Yes, that's right. Okay. So did you have any savings to go full-time to launch your website, to get that going, or you kind of just like cash flowed everything? I didn't require any savings because I didn't have even the website for the first uh, several groups at all. I just, I just, told on Instagram that I will be doing this like training through WhatsApp and people just messaged on, on my WhatsApp and I created a group. So it was completely zero cost. And did you charge people? Yeah, of course. I charged people right away and the website came later. Oh, wow. <laughs> that's amazing. Wow. That's awesome. And this is what I'm talking about. Like, guys, you do not need to wait to launch your website and then charge people for your services. You can do that now. <laughs> so, of course. Yeah. So Daria, tell me a little bit more about the Dream Sprint program. What do you offer and what do you specialize in? Yeah, that's a great question. I just want to make a disclaimer that I closed the Dream Sprint a couple of months ago uh, because, I, <laughs> because I realized that the person that's been creating this Dream Sprint, the previous me, is so much more upgraded right now <laughs> okay. that th this program is just outdated. And right now I'm in the process of creating the new program, which will literally bring people step by step on how to increase their confidence and then open the doors for themselves using the communication techniques that I've been using to get the jobs, to get the speakers, you know, get amazing opportunities, get like media features and all these things. Through Dream Sprint 2.0 mm -hmm. coming up, right? Yeah, I'm not sure even if the name will be the dream spirit. I have no idea right now. <laughs> I just feel that I have so much more to offer than I used to. So, you know, I could have been right. just reselling this program, but I, I don't feel authentic in that. So I decided just to close it and to basically to give my best right now from the person which I am right now. <laughs> okay, got it. Okay, so tell me about what it used to be and how you launched it and how it helped all of your customers. Oh, yeah, of course. So it used to be, I was at that time, I was so passionate about this concept of bringing things into my life through setting right intentions and through increasing basically the power of my mind to attract the right opportunities. And at that time, I, 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 didn't, I didn't realize that the majority of things were actually coming through my communication skills. And I thought that things had just been attracted to me. But of course, it's important, yes, to set right intentions and to make sure that there is nothing in your mind, you know, like fears, like all these limiting beliefs, all these limiting thoughts that we have about ourselves. We must make sure mm -hmm. that we identify them and that we get rid of them. But on top of that, there is a strategy, there is like real actionable things that you can do and receive almost immediate result. So I didn't have that part at that time, but I did have the whole part on how to identify what you want, because I was just going through this journey of doing nothing for more than a year and then finding myself like literally realizing which resources I can use and how I can find these resources in order to essentially self-actualize and started doing at least something and not being in this frozen mode when 
I just did nothing. So people who were coming to this program were people who were in transition, who didn't know what to do next. And in this program was helping them to identify what they can do to feel better, to identify their potential fears, to identify why they think something is not possible for them and help them to find resources in themselves to take actions towards their dreams and desires. So this is what the Dream Sprint was about. And the outcome for all people were, first, they started to realize what they truly want. And they started to see like serendipities and synchronicities, which were, of course, happening because they just were putting more, more relevant and needed information in their Google search machine, which is in their mind. Okay. And then you also do one-on-one coaching, right? Yes. It's actually interesting because I started doing one-on-one coaching. (laughs) It's essentially the only way to get to my one-on-one coaching. It's either be a founder of a company where I invest in or to be some kind of connected to me business-wise because I don't just do coaching for for anybody. I'm kind of like, you know, this concept of almost double dipping (laughs) because I want to coach people with whom I can either be business partners or we can do projects together. Or there is something where, you know, I can understand that there is much more to relationship than just coaching or mentorship. And I started that when I did my first investments in, in companies and I just wanted to coach the founders and it came so, so naturally to me that I just decided that, okay, yeah, yeah, I coach people. Got it. Okay. Yeah. And I did want to ask you about the angel investor. You became an angel investor at what period of time? So when did that happen? Are you still doing that on this side? Yeah, of course. I'm very interested in investments. I'm very interested in like finances and passive income and all these things. Okay. I mean, it's it's awesome because I want to, I'm on the way to building the life of freedom. And for me, freedom is to have like a really strong passive cash flow in order to passive, this is the key, <laughs> not active yes. passive, uh, in order to cover, you know, all the basic living expenses and more, basically to cover the minimum of what I want in terms of level of life. And then everything else will be just as a bonus. So I'm actively working on that. And angel investing will not bring you to passive income, like never. It's almost like charity because you have no idea if the startups will ever make it. <laughs> and, uh, yeah. And the failure rate of the startup world is like, I think 99% or something. So angel investing was for me a way to get myself into communities that I want because really awesome people. I like the community, which is all about angel investing and venture investing. Basically, angel investing, it's like venture investing, but without having a venture capital firm. Mm. And my husband does this a lot. I've done it only a couple of times, but I see all the deals that my husband is making. And it's awesome. Like people are amazing. Communities are amazing. But about returns, I'm not sure. It's either, you know, like a really massive return or like none, completely burnt. So Daria, in your Dream Sprint program, when it was open, was that focused on personal development or were you guiding also entrepreneurs on finding their next steps or their business growth? Or was it anyone that wanted to transition into something new or having attaining bigger goals in their life? People were from all walks of life. Okay. And it was not specifically catered to entrepreneurs. It was catered to people who are who are not sure what they want to do next. 
Okay. And some of them wanted a job. Some of them wanted to find something better that they already had. Some of them were with business ideas and developing businesses, but it was definitely like more of, more of a personal development program rather than an actionable business program. Okay. And how old were you when you did that full time? You quit your startup company at the wellness company. How old were you when you launched the Dream Sprint program and did the entrepreneurship full time? Mm, let me see. I think 23. I'm now 25. So I think, yeah, 23. Wow. So, so young. Congratulations. Thank you. <laughs> that is amazing. Okay. So tell me, did you have any mentors that helped you out to start your business? And I know you mentioned that you got connected in the angel investments. Did you find and collaborate and network with folks that would have helped you out to launch this full-time and, and, and just take your business entrepreneurship full-time? No, not really. I was just doing a DIY and I've made so many mistakes. That's why right now when I'm revamping my product and my program with all this new amazing actionable things that I will share with people, it will be completely on a different level and a new level. So no, <laughs> I wish I, I had somebody, but at the same time, I just didn't have much of a budget or I didn't want to allocate much of a budget for a mm -hmm. mentorship program. But right now I want to have just an operational partner for a percentage of income rather than, you know, mm -hmm. like hiring contractors and then managing them because I do manage teams where we invest in. Sometimes I help with like this zero to one journey of establishing the initial team. And it's fun. I think I'm, I'm really good at that in terms of hiring really responsible people. And basically, I think the main thing in terms of hiring is that the person is able to take responsibility for what they do and not just ask every single step and not just, you know, put this responsibility on you in terms of, oh, what should I do here? What should I do there? So I completely ban these questions. Like what should when people ask me, like, what should I do? I'm like, OK, what do you think you should do? And then the person yeah. asks for something. I'm like, okay, now you verbalize it. Okay, go and do this. Because every time the person asks you something, you kind of like take an automatic responsibility for the consequences of this action. It's not a good company environment when people are completely reliant on, on their management and what they tell them. And you always hone in on taking action, which is really, really powerful because a lot of people can say and talk and, th and think about things, but you're always in a lot of your videos and, and social media posts, you're always talking about taking action. And that first step of taking even little action can get tremendous results in every entrepreneurship journey. So what other things do you implement or that you talk about? Is there anything else that you can share with our listeners? Yeah, sure. I think in order to take any action, there must be energy for taking actions. Because when you have zero energy, it's not, it's scary and it's so draining to take any action. And it goes like one step forward, two step backward. Mm -hmm. No, and it's not a productive state to be. So if the actions are really hard to do, I don't know, maybe it's the direction that you don't want to go. Maybe you just aim too high. And your mind just gets all self-sabotage and all scary things together for you not to pursue what you want. So I'm always for 
like having the big vision, but then having really attainable goals, really small things to do, which is not so easy to sabotage because the, the, the smaller the thing, the harder it is to sabotage it. Mm-hmm. Yes. So, so powerful. Thank you so much for sharing that. So what about marketing? Are you actively doing any Facebook ads or Google ads? And I know you mentioned that you really didn't even have a website when you started this and you kind of did this on the side and then you launched it and then the website came later. So are you doing any Facebook ads right now? Is it working for you? What are some marketing tips that you have implemented? No, and not right now. Actually, I've never done any ads. I had a lot of people coming because I was already well known for like organizing these big events. And okay. I think I had certain reputation and many people just went literally to hear what I have to say. So I had a lot of like warm audience per se mm-hmm. to start. But then I was, you know, using all my cold pitching communication things and I was pitching different companies and some of them were even offering their employees to go through the training and things like that. So it was awesome. And for ads, because, you know, when you do ads, the audience is completely cold and mm-hmm. it's okay when the, when the audience is cold, when you are able to pitch somebody face to face. Because in this case, you're able to create this connection, but you can't create a connection through ads. So in order for ads to be successful, your case studies should be super polished. Your testimonials, like everything, visuals, the usability of the website, the ease with which people can engage with your program. So all online assets should be so polished and so like juicy for the ads to work. Because if you're doing an ad for a thing which people understand what it is about, people don't understand what results are they getting. I mean, I give you 99% chance that ads won't be successful. Yes. Seems like building relationships is how we get our sales through in the beginning stages, right? Because like you mentioned, you built those relationships, you went through networking, you you got yourself out there and you produced quality work. And when quality work is produced, that speaks volumes. Yeah, absolutely. You, of course, you start with the relationships you have and then you build the relationships which you think you need but you don't have and you know with the relationships it's always like a long-term strategy in terms of every time I have a new connection or I meet a new person I don't have and more times I don't have like a specific purpose I'm just really like one of the values in my life is to be connected and Mm -hmm. I may meet somebody and then if in five years it will turn out like it was very needed and very timely but I think the main thing is literally to be sincere in the relationship building thing, because I mean, all this, you know, like just networking things where people just ask straight away, what are you doing and things like that. I don't think it's even appropriate in our world because we are so focused on what everybody does and how they can help. But it's more about like how can we contribute and maybe even not asking people about what they do unless they tell because the person is so much more about what they do. And Mm -hmm. so many times I was just connecting over a passion over, for example, I've been connecting a lot over my passion for neuroscience. Sometimes I had no idea, you know, who I met until I Googled them 
<laughs> and I think this is when you start in this really authenticity mode, when you truly want to share what you want to share and you want to learn what you want to learn. I think the relationship building, the long-term strategy is much more needed. But of course, short-term things also work. If you have a specific offer and you know that the software would benefit another person, then of course you can do something like almost an exchange. But it just depends on the situation. Yes. So Daria, I've learned from you that I'm going to start Googling Elon Musk every single morning so he can get on my show. <laughs> I'm going to put that energy out there. <laughs> so okay. Daria, how do you stay productive throughout the day? So you got a lot of things going on. You're an angel investor. You're rebuilding your brand new program. You're doing coaching. You're just high productivity. But how do you stay productive throughout the days? Do, do you have any kind of, you know, to do tasks or list of things? And how do you stay focused to get those tasks accomplished? That's a great question. And you know, I'm not productive every single day. Not at all. <laughs> like some days I'm and I and I don't even like the word non productive, because I think it's all about my priorities. Sometimes just I don't want to do anything. And that's completely fine. I don't like blame myself over it. Because mm -hmm. My value is not in time that I spend. It's in the output that I produce. So mm -hmm. this is the only measurement that I have. And that's why I actually, I always encourage people to kind of like do this exercise of thinking that what if basically the time did not exist in terms of we are so used to measuring ourselves, you know, pay per hour, all this culture of measuring mm -hmm. our worth with time. But I think for the majority of people, it's not the case because, I mean, who cares how much time I spend on things and how productive I am? I think only the outcomes are speaking for us. So mm. I'm always like, you know, encouraging people do not measure yourself in time, measure yourself on the outcome. And that's why so many, for example, people who are in this freelance entrepreneurship journey, when they like yeah. sell these services, they always like measure themselves um, in hours. But I'm like, okay, you, you're a designer and okay, like you should be measured on the outcome produced and not like the hours you spend because you can spend as many hours as you want. It's literally like it's your, it's your thing. And the same bar I apply like to my contractors and to employees at the companies with whom, with which I'm involved in. I'm like, okay, we are measuring people by outcome and not by the hours they spend. So I really love this thing and I apply it to myself as well. So no, I'm not always productive at all. I always prioritize my health, my wellness, different educational things that I do for myself. I sing two times a week. I have a coach. So I do this coaching thing. Not mm -hmm. I'm coaching people. I have like my coach and then mm -hmm. I do fitness several times a week. I watch Netflix. I do things which are just, you know, <laughs> YouTube videos and stuff. So it sounds like a dream <laughs> life, Daria. <laughs> I don't How have do a I high bar. <laughs> I mean, that? outcomes, outcomes, outcomes. Yes, it, yes. it doesn't matter the time, the outcomes you produce. And for that, there are a lot of not shortcuts, but like things which you know, can be done in a, in a more efficient way. And delegating is definitely a big thing for me. When I first hired my personal assistant, I mean, oh my God, such a thing. <laughs> Literally, I, I can do nothing and I still feel like things are going, you know, things are right. moving forward. 
Mm, so outsourcing and getting help. And that's how we continue to grow, right? <laughs> But for that, the cash flow comes first. So, I mean, it's okay if sometime in your life you're like really working long hours and making these cash flows. But then the optimization goes towards, of course, like delegation and being cash flow positive in the meantime. Mm-hmm. Yes. So Daria, I wanted to switch gears a little bit and talk about mistakes or failures. And I know that there's always a really good story behind the mistakes that we make. So is there anything that you can share with our listeners where you've encountered an obstacle and you learned something, you implemented something and positive results came through? That's a great question. And <laughs> I think I'm doing mistakes all the time because I'm trying new things all the time. and I kind of like always say yes type of person. So it's really hard for me to distinguish like one thing. I think I I learn on my mistakes like all the time. And I think the recent example, I was I was onboarding one one employee, like helping to onboard. And okay. then this 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 employee just, you know, and it's in another country just went radio silent, changing their email, WhatsApp, like anything. So no way to connect with them. And we already made the prepayment and like onboarded this person. So it literally person just disappeared, like completely, <gasps> like no oh, trace no. of this person whatsoever. No. Nowhere, not on social media, nowhere. But it's okay. I mean, I, I learned what I have to learn. And now I've just, you know, implemented a better process of verification. And, you know, just I think every time the mistake is an opportunity to make the process better. And the earlier the mistakes are coming, the better it is for the whole process. Because when you achieve some kind of scalability, all mistakes become very costly. So mistakes does not equal giving up. Right. Because mistakes in every entrepreneurship journey is inevitable. We cannot have such a perfect entrepreneurship life without making any mistakes or failing at least at one point in our journey. So the reason why I ask this question a lot is because a lot of times we can come to self-doubt and we can say, I messed up. That's it. I screwed up. I'm such a horrible person and I'm going to quit and and go back to my old life. But you're saying that, hey, mistakes is something that we can learn and improve our processes. And the more mistakes we make in the beginning stages, we can have a really amazing process going forward when we scale, when we grow bigger, and we'll have a lot less mistakes in the future. All right. So is giving back either volunteering time or giving back to the community something that is part of your business values, Daria? Yes, of course. It's it's a big part of, of my business values. I, I love helping people who want to help themselves. Very important because I've been in a mode when I want to help everybody. But I realized one thing. If the person is in this mode where you just ask and ask and ask, I never want to help this person because it would never be productive. It was just, you know, be like a consumption mode. But people who Mm -hmm. are actively taking actions, like any actions or expressing that they want to take them or expressing that, expressing the desire of improve the situation, these people are definitely worth helping. 
But people, you know, who just rant about, oh, life's such a bad thing. I need this. I need that. I have no interest encouraging mm-hmm. such uh, behavior. It's my personal choice. I don't like encourage everybody to do this. But in terms of giving back, I feel kind of very connected to the idea of popularizing like mental health in terms of popularizing that there is this thing like mental health challenges and you're not to blame for these challenges. And so many people experience the same thing. They're just not sharing it openly. So I contribute a lot of time to this non-for-profit organization. It's called A Safe Place Inside Your Head. It's a mental health nonprofit here in America and I'm an ambassador for them. So I do a lot of you know, different workshops, different seminars, seminars completely pro bono for them. And do you think entrepreneurship allowed you to give back more? Yeah, I think it's empowering, but I've been doing these things like throughout. And of course, yeah, if you want, if if you just want to donate, I mean, money, of course, the more money you have, the more you're able to donate. But there are so many more ways to to contribute. And sometimes non-monetary contributions are even more valuable. What are some things you would advise the next aspiring immigrant that wants to start their own business? Understand your value. Realize that you're not like depreciating yourself for any reason. It's very important because if you're like underselling yourself, that's never a good start. And then literally learn how to connect with people, learn how to make opportunities happen without somebody else opening a door for you. Because it's so easy just to wait for somebody to bring something to us. And it doesn't work all this this way. Yeah, you have to learn how to create opportunities for yourself. And only after that, this will be, you know, like accumulation effect where the opportunities will find you. But first Mm. you find opportunities yourself. So I think it's one of the most important skills, whether you are entrepreneur or whether you are even, you know, a freelancer or doing something entrepreneurial when you have to put yourself out there. And watch Netflix to learn English. Yeah, yeah. (laughs) If you want to improve English, definitely. But much better even speaking to other people. (laughs) Yes. Talking to other people. Mm-hmm. I love it. Thank you so much, Daria, for coming on this show. I am so sure your journey has been completely inspiring to our listeners, immigrant entrepreneurs. And thank you for going out there and just rocking it in the neurospace industry and creating such powerful tools that will tremendously help people. And especially at a very, very young age, you're so full of energy and positivity. So thank you so much for coming on the show. And I wish you all the best of successes. Thank you so much, Elena, for your time and for inviting me to a podcast. You're doing an amazing thing by, you know, literally open doors for entrepreneurs, because even by you listening right now and you, I mean, our our listeners, even yes. when you listen to these things, you already network. And by the way, the networking tip that you can implement right away, for example, when you listen to somebody's podcast, write down top, top insights that you learn that add this person on LinkedIn and, and message them a really personal, like sweet message that you listen to this thing and you really learned these top three things from this whole episode. And I can guarantee you that in 99 out of 100 cases, the person will reply and they'll remember this because not so many people take time to show up and to learn and then to give back, give back in terms of give back their gratitude for the person who delivered the important message for them. 
Yes, yes. So, so powerful. Thank you so much for sharing that. Okay, Daria, thank you so much. And we'll talk to you later soon. Absolutely. Thank you so much, Helena. Alrighty, guys. Thank you so much for tuning in. If there are any links that were mentioned in this episode, make sure to check them out on my website under this episode to find all the links conveniently located in the show notes. I just wanted to ask for a quick favor. If you could please leave a review wherever you're at listening to this podcast. Also, if you're an immigrant entrepreneur and would love to be on my podcast, please email me and we'll get connected. I'll see you guys all next time for another exciting and impactful episode. Take care.